literally, I got home, went to bed, woke up the next day. I called my boss and I said, I'm sorry, I, I got to quit. Like I'm quitting. I'm giving my notice. I know it's close to two years, but I'm done. I, I can't do it. Welcome to the Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fi Show. But the show wouldn't be anything without my co-host Cody. So, Cody, what you doing out there? Nothing much, man. Just hanging out here in New Mexico with Grant. How about you? Well, while you're in the New Mexico, I'm in the real Mexico. <laughs> I'm down here on my uh, my annual uh, mission trip with the orphanage down here in Mexico. But hey. But enough about us. Let's dig into the guest of the show, Ryan. Yeah, man. I mean, I just love his story. And and when we both met him down at Camp 5 South, I was like, we have to get this guy on the podcast. He was just doing things that you don't typically hear. He's not at full fi. And he's using the money that he's saved up to just basically build and design a life that he loves. He stepped away from a high-stress job. He wasn't loving it. And he saved up quite a handsome sum of money. I mean, he's not fully financially independent, but he has a probably a 10 or 15 years that he could take off no problem. And you know, Justin, that he's not just going to be sitting around not doing anything. He's going to be starting up businesses, doing other entrepreneurial things, and just trying to see what his passion is. But let's not tell his whole story for him. Let's bring him on to the show. So I grew up middle class. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. Dad was a contractor for a construction company, self-employed, owned his own business, that sort of thing. For all intents and purposes, I spent the majority of my childhood around my mom. Her and I are very close. She was a saver. My dad was a spender. And so I guess naturally maybe you know my mom's kind of frugality or, or saver mentality brushed off on me. And I mean, I think a, a lot of that had to do with my dad's business. So being in construction, he's in a very cyclical business. You know, look, I didn't I didn't grow up poor or anything like that, but we had times when things were slower and and things were better and that sort of thing. And so my mom, she really valued things like stability, getting a paycheck every week, all this sort of stuff. And so having spent the majority of my childhood around my mom, I think that sort of mentality brushed off on me from from day one. And so growing up, you know, I, I did things like, oh gosh, I did I did all sorts of stuff. I mean, just from a saving perspective, all the birthday money, the Christmas money, we would play cards at my grandparents for like a dollar and all that stuff would just get saved immediately. I was a collector. So I anything that had value, baseball cards, coins, stamps, any sort of valuable or collectible I was always kind of intrigued by. And I think it all comes back to that saver mentality, you know, not like a hoarder, but, you know, you're kind of stashing things away for a rainy day, I guess. And and maybe to some extent, my upbringing with my mom and some of the family values there had something to do with that. You know, you're getting some of these lessons instilled in you kind of early. I know you mentioned us before that you started investing when you were 14 years old. Can you just walk us through like what does a 14-year-old invest in? And I'm sure we got some 14-year-old listeners out there dying to get this information. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm not sure how young your audience is. But that's pretty young, but as I mentioned before, I kind of had this this intrigue with with saving and all that stuff. I had when I was 14, gosh, maybe like $2,000. 
So that's 14 years of saving like, you know, birthday money, Christmas money. I think I got like some savings bonds for like a baptism or whatever the heck when I was uber young, right? So this is in the late 90s. The internet stock market type boom is just going nuts. And I'm reading magazines. I'm, you know, getting interested in all this stuff. And I say, hey, mom, I've got some money saved up. I want to invest it. And she says, well, we use this guy over at Wachovia. Let me talk to him and maybe, you know, he'll take you on and, you know, you can invest some money with him. So I did. This was probably late 98, early 99. Gave the advisor literally almost every penny I had, which in the, you know, grand scheme of things, two grand or whatever it was is is nothing. But as a 14-year-old, that's a big deal. So I gave him everything. And then, of course, the dot-com bubble came and I lost everything. Not quite everything, right? There's always something left. But I started to get interested at that point in why that happened. And at the time, the market was doing so terrible that it was just easy to say, oh, it's the market. But over the next few years, as I kind of rebounded from that, I started working when I was 16. Actually, I think I started working when I was 15 and started saving some more money and giving more money to this guy. And as I learned more about investing and the market, you know, I started to question kind of what this guy was doing and how he was handling my money. Over the years, you know, fast forward from 14, where you go through this traumatic experience in the market, you kind of rebound. And now I'm, you know, 18, 19, 20, I'm in college, have some more money with this guy. And, and over the years, you're just kind of learning how things work. You're doing some research, you're learning silly stuff. What is a PE ratio? And all this stuff. By the way, in college, I was a finance major, so you're you're learning, you know, through that channel as well. And and by the end of college, I realized this guy was kind of robbing, like you know, not just me, but other, fo- you know, my mom, my parents. My it turns out my aunt used the same guy. And there's this whole terrible story where um, the guy actually ended up getting in trouble. Then he got fired. He was doing some illegal stuff, things like you know, it's called churning of accounts. Won't go into what that is, but long story short, there's this whole backstory of terrible stuff that this guy was doing. At that point, I, of course, took all my money out and started managing my money on my own. I think I was 20 years old. From there, I guess I could keep talking for the next two hours from there on. But that's kind of my story up from 14, how I got started to, you know, how I started to go off on my own in my college years. Yeah, I'm not even sure if it's legal for a 14-year-old to get invested in equities unless it was going through your parents' name. So that might have been the first flag. I don't know. I, I thought you had to be at least 18 in most states to get invested in equities. So that's something we may have to look into. Yeah, you do. Now, there's something called a custodial account where, yeah, you, you're right. I think it was my mom's name that was on there. And okay, she's, okay, okay. She's technically the owner. But yeah, that that was just... I was about to say, if you, as a 14 year old, if you're going to this guy and he's like, sure, I'll take you on. And like, that might've been the first sign that, uh, that he, he was operating in a gray area. So I, I may have played that up a little bit. I'm sure no, my you're mom, fine. I'm sure my mom was holding my hand as we walked into the office. So yeah, okay. it, it wasn't me going, going out off on my own to, to find an advisor. Something that I like that you said, Ryan, as a fellow financier, <laughs> someone who studied finance in college is that like, you're right. You're learning PE ratios. You're learning how to get to the terminal value to determine like what this company's worth. Like, teach me how to travel hack. Teach me how to save 70, 80% of my income and retire early. It's just crazy how the college system is. 
And the fact that they don't teach you this basic personal finance stuff is a crime. I totally agree, man. I actually, I mean, not to get a, not to get too far off topic, but I actually did not want to go to college at all when I was 18. I was actually the first person in my family to go to college, at least to a, a four-year school full-time. And really, it was my mom that was just saying, you're going, you're going, you're going. But I, I totally agree, man. I wanted to do kind of my own, my own business, something similar to what my dad did. Again, based, going back to the values of my mom, you know, very traditional and, and that sort of thing. But I got one step worse for you, Cody, which is I did an MBA a couple years ago. And if you think undergrad is a waste of time and money, boy, you should – well, well, no, don't go, <laughs> don't go check out one of those programs. But it's – you're right. It is an institution that is just enshrined in our society for a number of reasons – but from a practical standpoint, if your goal is to educate the masses and educate young people, get them ready for life, get them ready for a career, there is a lot to be fixed in that system. So you mean that like prepositional phrases are not more important than learning how to manage like a checkbook or <laughs> <laughs> Latin or what else? I think I had some dodgeball courses in there. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's great. <laughs> great experience. There's some value to the college experience. But yeah, some of this stuff, you know, our communities focused obviously on the, some of this financial stuff we're talking about. It's extremely important and just something that as, and I feel like part of this, part of it is is somewhat uniquely American in that we are terribly illiterate when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And we, we grow up so late in life financially. I mean, by the time folks like you know you guys are in your 20s and most people cannot speak kind of the financial lingo that you can until they're 50 and it's because they've gone through this whole terrible series of mistakes and and these sorts of things before they really learn and perhaps some of that is you know because it's not taught early on who knows so Ryan I'm actually curious looking back because doing that undergrad in finance doing that MBA allowed you to have a very, very rapid path to financial freedom. So if you were to go back and talk to 18-year-old Ryan, would you still go to college or would you still do that MBA program? Oh, man, that's a good question. You know, I don't really have any regrets. I can't say that I would do things terribly different. I mean, even oh, – we talked a little bit about this before, Cody, but even in, in the job I had, which, by the way, I was a, a management consultant in financial services – I'm not even going to explain kind of what I do on a day-to-day basis. That's that's a 30-minute conversation in and of itself. But, you know, when I first started that job coming out of college, I was really excited about it. I mean, I wanted to work hard. I didn't mind working 80 hours a week and not doing anything for my hobbies and, and not seeing my family. I was I was that driven. I was in that sort of mentality. And it was great until for a number of different reasons, you know, was looking for something a little more meaningful and and that sort of thing. But when I was in college and even early in my career, I was really happy. I don't know that I'd change much about that. And so when you come out of college and you've got these degrees, can you just walk us through what got you to financial independence? Like what were the kind of job titles that you took on? What were your salaries looking like? And then, you know, how many years did it take you to get to financial independence? Out of undergrad, I worked for four years at a management consulting firm, started as an analyst for two years, moved to a consultant for two years. During that time, 
was making probably in the 60s, maybe $70,000 and saving a lot of that. Uh, Justin, nothing like what saving Sherpa does, but (laughs) still saving, you know, 40, 50% of what I make these days. Now that I'm, you know, quote unquote retired, I, I do tend to be a little bit more frugal. Maybe that's just a mental thing now that I don't get a paycheck, but Back then, I had a nice car. I had a nice apartment. I went out. You know, I didn't. I didn't necessarily have the sort of frugality mindset that I do now. I think that was kind of acquired over the years. But as I realized or learned that I wanted a different life, I kind of adapted to that and became more frugal so that I could basically achieve that earlier. But yeah, anyway, did that for four years, making sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. Part of the deal with that job was you had to go back full time to get an MBA at a top fifteen school, otherwise you're fired. Oh, so I I left after four years, and then the uh, part of that deal also was if you come back for two years to the management consulting firm after your MBA, they'll pay for your MBA. And so that was my plan, and I knew that plan from day one. So as soon as I graduated college and got this job. It's almost like I had this eight-year career plan set up for me, and really all I had to do was kind of do what you're told, and literally after – well, I'd say after two years in the job is when I started feeling like maybe this isn't for me forever, and I whipped out a spreadsheet. I did some math, and I said, hey, if I can save this much going into my MBA program – and I know what I'm going to make after the MBA program, and I just draw it out for six or eight years or whatever I had left, I could do that sort of planning from a very early stage. And I did that. And it turns out when I did, quote unquote, retire a year and a half ago, the the amount of money I had saved was remarkably close to what I thought I would have like six or seven years earlier. So I know a lot of your viewers, a lot of folks I've talked to in our community you know, they get excited about this and some people can do it in like a year or two. They make drastic changes. But for me, it was kind of more of a slower progression. I, I kind of saw the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow a long ways away and kind of planned accordingly throughout that time. And Justin, just to go back to, to one of your questions in there, my salary when I got back after my MBA program was was much better, probably something like Low six figures, low 100s, 110, 120, something like that. So Ryan, at what point during this journey, so you said two years in, you might have thought, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. But at what point did you find like fire? Like when did the fire ignite? That's a great question. You know, I just learned this acronym within the last like six months. As you guys know, my social media presence (laughs) is, is, is lacking. It took me 20 minutes to figure out how to get on Skype here, but I, I just learned about this movement, and I, I got so excited. Uh, obviously, I met you guys at Camp Five South, and just met a, a ton of people there. It was it was awesome. But I never considered myself fire, or I, I, I guess I never even looked at it that way. I mean, looking back, if I had known about all this stuff and this community and these people, I don't know. Maybe maybe I would have done things differently. Maybe I would have gotten out, you know, sooner and that sort of thing. But it wasn't really something that crossed my mind. It was just the fact that I just wasn't happy doing what I was doing. And for me, I always knew that I, I didn't need much. Look, I'm financially independent, but you know, I drive old cars. I live in a small house. 
gosh, it's probably not even considered furnished, but <laughs> you know, I I knew from an early early standpoint that I I didn't need much, you know, when I became started to become frustrated with my with my job, my career, it was just sort of a a no-brainer. Now I'll I'll say Whenever I told anyone five years ago, six years ago, whatever, hey, this is my plan. I'm going to work for another four years and then quote unquote retire. Everyone calls you crazy, right? They don't understand. Well, wait a second. I, I know how much money you make. Like there's no way you can retire after that. I just talked to someone last week, a former colleague, a former coworker that I haven't talked to in a while. Literally, I haven't spoken to her in two years. And it was like the first thing out of her mouth was – what do you mean you haven't been working for two years? Like, what are you doing? Like, are you selling drugs? Like, what's going on? <laughs> so I had a lot of that that I was dealing with, you know, family, friends, just trying to convince them that, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not sick. I didn't get a big inheritance. I, this is just something I'm choosing to do. And Cody, it was really independent of the whole fire community, the movement. It's just something I just did, I guess. Wow. So you're doing this with no guide, no mentor. Did you at least have some kind of quote-unquote phi number? Well, the truth is I didn't have a number. I had a number in the sense that when I did the spreadsheet, I could say, this is how much money I think I'm going to make. This is how much money I think I'm going to spend. And here's what I think I'll have at the end of my, you know, my two years back with, with this company or whatever. But I never said, oh, I need $400,000 to retire. I need five. I need a million dollars to retire. Look, I have you know, a number saved up now for what it's worth. It's just north of $300,000. It's not a lot, but it's a number where I can say I'm good for a while. Like I don't spend a lot of money. I don't know if that the way the market went today, who knows that that might last me a few years in the worst case scenario, but look, it'll probably last me at least like a decade. And I don't know what I'm going to be doing a decade from now. I don't have those sorts of plans or vision for a, a second career and that sort of thing. But I can always go back to what I was doing. I can always find something different. If I have to make money for the sake of paying bills, that's easy stuff to, you know, to take care of. At least I'm very confident that I, you know, wouldn't have a problem doing that. But I never had a number in mind that was never part of my goal or or plan or anything like that. It was just to be honest, the whole 2-year contract with my former employer was structured such that if I left before the 2 years was up, I was just totally screwed from a financial perspective. I would owe them back money and all sorts of bonus money gets forgiven. And so I knew I didn't want to do that. I actually tried to do that about two months before the deadline. I'll tell you that story in a minute. But Oh, man. <laughs> I knew I didn't want to do that. So I knew – and literally, by the way, I quit literally the day after my two-year anniversary. So that's the sort of timeline I was dealing with. It was more based on that timeline than it was – based on reaching any sort of target monetary figure. But yeah, going back to the last point. So I actually was on a really stressful project two months before my two-year anniversary and just almost almost got into a car accident traveling from uh, from New York. And it was kind of all related to this you know, work and stress and being on the phone and, and all this stuff. And I literally, I got home, went to bed, woke up the next day. I called my boss and I said, I'm sorry, I, I got to quit. Like I'm quitting, I'm giving my notice. I know it's close to two years, but I'm done. I, I can't do it. And he said, you know, let me talk to a few people. Like maybe we can get you a break. He basically didn't accept my resignation. Super nice guy. Wow. Um, looking back on it, I am extremely thankful for 
for what he did for me. But I took a break, used up all my PTO, got through the last two months, and then um, happily fire ever since, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that two-year milestone was big for me. So it, my retirement was more based on that than anything else. So it sounds like you're taking kind of an interesting approach towards this financial independence. Like It seems like you are completely accepting the fact that this may not be a you are financially independent or retired forever. That This could be a, a decade window because you didn't go to a, a really high net worth kind of number or to the best of my knowledge, you didn't have a ton of income streams. You're just like, I'm going to get to a point where I can at least take an extended break, see what happens. And if I need to go back to work, I can. Just as, you know, for listeners out there who are thinking about something like that, what are your fears and what are you doing to augment the fears of you being out of the workforce for eight, 10 years and then trying to come back into if you need to and those skills being rusty? Are you doing anything or do you have any side hustles or are you doing anything to prepare for the fact of having to come back in after a decade of sitting on the sidelines? We'll be right back after this. Overwhelmed by all the hats you wear in life? Listen in as Eric Fisher talks with productivity experts as they share how they implement practical productivity strategies in their personal and professional lives, exploring all aspects of productivity and its true end goal, living a meaningful life, which is something we focus a ton on on the Fi Show. For more than a decade, Eric Fisher has sat down with productivity experts, authors, and creatives as they share their insights on how to implement productivity strategies in both your professional and personal life. The goal? to help you gain perspective, practical knowledge, and productivity insights for living a whole life that goes beyond the to-do list. Check out the incredibly engaging conversations with Eric and his guests every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now back to the show. I don't, and now you're making me wonder if I should. <laughs> but but no, I mean, look, there's a couple angles to this. One is, I knew when I left my former employer that I would never want to go back to something similar. In fact, I don't I don't want to work for any large organization, you know, call it corporate America or Fortune 500 or or whatever you want. I don't really have any interest in that. That said, I actually interviewed for like LinkedIn and a couple other places like a month or two ago just for the heck of it. But I don't think I'd actually ever get serious about going back to something like that. I always had kind of an entrepreneurial mindset, started a business when I was in high school, started a different one when I was in college. I'm very confident that I could go back to that sort of business and pay the bills. And for me, I don't want to say this was part of the impetus for me retiring, but on some level, I feel like if you just have a crap ton of money, like you're actually not motivated to you know, start a business, for example. For me, I want to start one day a personal finance business. I don't know if it's going to be an advisory business, a planning business, but you know, based on that terrible story I told you before about some advisor experience I have, I think there's a huge opportunity in that space to do some some really good stuff for folks. And I'd like to do that one day. But if I had millions of dollars, I mean, I don't know that I'd be interested in doing that sort of thing. So I, I don't know if that bears on, you know, my decision to retire at all. But certainly at the time I retired, I still I wanted to do that. I wanted to move into that space. In fact, the whole reason I I did what I did and going back to get an MBA was I thought there was a chance that instead of going back to my previous employer for another two years that I would get out and do some sort of startup during that time related to personal finance. In fact, when I left my employer, I left six months early and negotiated kind of this extended exit because I was literally working on a business plan to start a personal finance business. So 
I've always had that in the background. I know one day I still want to do something with that. I don't quite know what it's going to be yet. But, you know, to answer your question more directly, I'm not really worried about it. I mean, I don't have any contingency plans. I, I don't, I'm not much of a, a budgeter in that sense. And look, I'm also, you know, we, we mentioned before, I'm, I'm a single guy, right? If I get married and have a family, who knows how the financial situation changes, right? Who knows how my perspective on all this will change? And, you know, maybe I will go back to the workforce one day in a way that I, I thought I would never have to. I, who knows? But I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking about plan B at this point. I think my plan is let's see how life plays out on my terms and then we'll worry about how we make money if we need to, when we need to, as the situation dictates. Well, hell yeah, man. I love the way you're doing it. You're just living it up. And so something that you glazed over like a chocolate frosted donut was these businesses that you started in high school and college. And we didn't really talk about that at all, but I'd just be curious like what your previous experience is building businesses. Uh, yes. Yeah, so they're both painting businesses, house painting businesses. In college, it was actually a franchise by the name of uh, Tuition Painters. But I mean, gosh, the level of support they provided was was kind of silly. But so, yeah, I started this painting business once. Actually, it was a, a summer after my freshman year. I could not find an internship in finance, which I desperately wanted. And so I was basically forced to do this crappy painting business and hired a bunch of my friends. I think I had like 10 or 12 people working for me. And my friends were not highly motivated or, or things like that. I mean, I have all sorts of crazy stories about the summer, but I bought a van for $75. Uh, no, <laughs> oh my God. no one knew how to paint. I mean, the van broke down. We actually found another engine for it for 400 bucks. I mean, <laughs> this thing was a total, total nightmare, but we had a blast in the summer. I mean, it's it's just a bunch of my friends driving around in this van, you know, painting houses all summer and doing all sorts of other crazy stuff. But look, we made like 70 grand over the summer. What? And <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a long story. Like one of my competitors actually ended up quitting and basically just gave us a bunch of his contracts that he had lined up. And, and that was part of it. But yeah, I guess that's the summer in a nutshell. And for what it's worth, you know, out of all the interviews I've ever had for jobs and schools and all that sort of stuff, and you just kind of picked up on it too, asking this very question, but people are always intrigued by those kind of strange business experiences, like those ones that you just kind of do off on your own that are different and unique and you kind of made something out of nothing. But every interview I've ever had, they always focus on like these types of line items on the resume. So I, I don't know. I never viewed it as something that was very interesting, but I guess some people view it as, as unique stuff. All right. Well, thank you for clearing that up, Ryan. So I kind of want to hop forward in your story a little bit more because you were a financial consultant. So, I mean, you knew what you were doing at this point with your investments. And for a lot of the listeners, they want some tangible, actionable tip. So like, what exactly were you investing in? Were you straight index funds? Were you playing with individual stocks or just what was your whole investment strategy? Yeah, sure. So, so let's start off with with my early days, which is what not to do. Um, so don't, you know, if you're going to use an advisor, there's some really great resources out there. Look, there's there's a ton of content out there for this, right? But the, the long story short is you probably want to get a fee-based advisor. And again, if you just Google like fee-based advisor and how to find one, listen to like one or two podcasts from 
someone that you respect. They'll give you some great guidance on how to do that. But try to avoid the commission-based advisors and and all that sort of stuff, which is what I did when I was younger because I didn't know any better. That stuff's getting better. I don't mean to demean an industry or a profession. I'm sure there's some wonderful folks out there that are in that industry, and I I don't mean to to speak badly about them at all. But the reality is there there are some conflicts of interest in that sort of business model that that make it tough over the long term for you know especially folks with like less than a million dollars to come out come out ahead. And so the alternative, you know, use a fee-based advisor if if you have to use an advisor. If you don't, if you're just looking to invest, you know, if you're starting out early, you have $10,000 or some nominal amount to invest, check out the robo advisors. I mean, you know, they've all got their little niches, but for all intents and purposes, they're they're very similar. And if you have a small amount of money, that's a reasonable choice if you want to be hands-off. They'll typically put you in a bunch of index funds. They're somewhat aggressive. They'll keep you mostly exposed to equity because most of their customer base is very young, and, and that tends to be more appropriate. But if, if you have a little bit of money and, and you just want to give it to someone and forget it, the robo-advisors like M1 Cody are, are a great option. If you're a little bit more curious and you want to spend a little bit more time learning – in my opinion, I'd love to get into an argument with someone about this. I, I think the best <laughs> brokerage by far is going to be Vanguard. Oh, man. You're so wrong, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Vanguard. <laughs> I have to take this on. Yeah. But they're they're just awesome. I mean, it's most of their stuff is based on passive investing, so a lot of index funds, super low cost. Look, you're going to find some products there that are a little bit more expensive than some of their competitors. But on the whole, when you consider – the whole suite of services and what you'll use them for, they're awesome. And even if you have $1,000 or even if you have, let's call it anything less than $10 million, investing with them in an indexed approach is a phenomenal idea. And if you don't know what that is, you know, I'm sure we can, can get you some, some content on, on how to learn more about that. If you don't want to learn about it, Vanguard also has you know some fee-based advisory services where they'll just do it for you, and they're very, very reasonable, and they do a great job. These aren't sales guys. These are finance guys. They know what they're doing. So in summary, you know, if you're going to go with a tangible person advisor, try to, try to focus probably on the fee-based advisors. If you have a little bit of money and you just want to go – Give it to someone and forget it. You don't care about numbers and math and finance and all this boring stuff I just talked about. Go give it to a <laughs> robo advisor like M1. You know, if if you're a little bit more, you know, I don't want to say motivated, maybe that's the wrong context, but if you're a little bit more excited about this and you actually think what I'm talking about is fun or could be interesting, you should really check out Vanguard. And there's a great website and community out there called the Bogleheads. It's a great site to kind of learn all about index investing and all about what what Vanguard's about and why it's, in my opinion, a a superior business model. Awesome. Well, thank you for all those actionable tips. So hopefully some people who are hesitant about investing, they can get started. Yeah. Now you've given us all the nuts and bolts to how to actually get started and the companies to go to look through. But now I just kind of want to get into the fun part, right? So you actually, you got your savings rate up, you got investing into some of these index funds, and now you get to live out the fruits of your labor. So can you give us, like, let's give us an update on what life has been like in early retirement these last couple of years. What are some of the cool things you've got to do? So I actually made a, um, as I was nearing retirement, I made this list of stuff that I wanted to do because I, 
was so stressed out with work at the time. I was like, let me just let me get to my happy place here and you know think about some of the fun stuff I'm going to do here. So I actually I made a list, and it's it's silly. It's going to sound like silly stuff. It's hobbies and and stuff like that. So so some of the stuff on that list was fish more. I was going to buy an ocean going boat, fix it up. My goal was I was going to buy a truck, a trailer, a boat, all for less than ten thousand dollars. Fix it up, take it on the ocean, and go and go fishing. I was going to take up hunting, which I just did this fall. I started hunting this fall. Exercise more, spend more time with family, read more, travel more, start brewing again. I'm actually reading from my refrigerator list right now, by the way. <laughs> I was like, wow, you really know it off the top of your head. <laughs> start brewing again as a sub-bullet under start brewing again. Drink more beer. Sleep more. Win a baseball championship. I joined a, a baseball team. We, we play some pretty competitive baseball. Uh, I have some fishing-related goals here to uh, catch a 43-inch striper, which is this ridiculous fish that lives in the ocean. And I had to do all this crazy sort of stuff to try to go get it, including getting rescued by a coast guard, which was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, and my last one is interesting. You guys will like this. I think I used the wrong verbiage here. I would change it a little bit, but I, I said, create investment management empire to serve the common man. I think <laughs> empire is probably the wrong word there, but I like it. I do want to start a business one day. And certainly one of the benefits of talking to you guys and, and the whole community over at Camp Five South was learning what you guys do with, with blogs and podcasts and your websites. And who knows, one day maybe I'll kind of go that route. But you know, over the past year and a half, Justin, those are some of the things I've been doing. And like I said, sometimes I feel guilty or bad. Like I, I rattle that stuff off and people are like, what the heck? You just fishing all the time? Like that's, <laughs> I, that's gotta get boring, but you're right. It does. I mean, I only go fishing like once a week, but you know, just silly stuff like spending more time with family. I mean, I was away from my family for so long and really away. I mean, my goodness, and this is going to sound terrible, but I skipped one of my uncle's funerals because I was out of the country on business and that's the sort of like disconnectedness I had from my family. So, you know, just getting back here, I bought a house close to my family. I moved away from, you know, the city where I worked and just kind of reconnecting with the family. I mean, that's been a huge investment in and of itself. And then I've started on all these other side projects. I, I bought a house, I'm fixing up the house. So anyway, it's just kind of a mix mosh of stuff. But for the past year and a half, I've really had no no sort of professional mindset, no side hustle, not much of a focus on that stuff, which tends to be very important to uh, a lot of folks in this community. But you know, I I just at this point in my life am focused on um, making my relationships better. I started dating someone a little while ago, but you know that was probably one of my motivations as well to you know get out there dating again and that sort of thing. But yeah, that's what I've been doing over the past year and a half. Ryan, was was that motorcycle trip in the last year and a half or two years? No, it wasn't. So the motorcycle trip is that I did right when I left my old firm before I went back to my MBA program. So I said I took six months off in there to start a business. I did actually start a business. Man, this is all like connecting together now. This is awesome. So I, <laughs> I wanted to start literally, and I, I would have never called it that at the time, but a robo-advisor. Like I literally wrote a business plan for that, and in the course of talking with people in the industry, discovered Betterment, and that they had just recently launched, and I had actually contacted them, and you know was going to go work for them for the summer, and and it didn't end up working out. But that's what I was going to do for that six months, and it fell through basically because I realized 
there were a lot of people already working on this. So that's when the motorcycle trip came up. I got this silly idea in my head. I never even drove a motorcycle before, but I, in a matter of a week, I bought a motorcycle and started on my trip down to South America, basically like learned how to drive the bike from Pennsylvania to Texas <laughs> and then stayed with some friends in Texas for a while because at that time, the border drug wars were ridiculous. I tried to cross like on three or four different days and I got turned back by the U.S. border patrol there, but finally made it through and then basically just drove down to the tip of South America and it was awesome. But And then flew back and then the next summer I actually drove up to Alaska and camped out there for the summer. Just last year, I drove back up to Alaska again for the summer, but that time I drove in my old Saturn, so not not a motorcycle trip. Was this a, <laughs> uh, I got to ask, was this like a BMW bike or what it was you working with? Okay. Yeah, it was F650GS, yep. Okay, gotcha. All right, Ryan, thanks for uh, the call today. Thanks for all this information. But if people want to get more information from you, where do they reach out and get in contact with you? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I mentioned before my social media presence is, is pretty light, but I guess the best way would probably be Facebook at Ryan Jacob. Awesome. And so one thing that we'd like to ask all of our guests is what is your number one tip for someone on this path to financial freedom? Oh, boy. Number one tip. I mean, I'll tell you my gut, just what came to mind first. And I, I don't want this to come out the wrong way and sound negative, but don't care about what other people think. I think this sort of community, this sort of philosophy, this sort of ideology, this sort of lifestyle is still it's still kind of new. It's it's it might be a generational thing, it might be a younger people thing, but even within our generation, if I can call myself part of your generation, I don't think this is a common sort of mindset and whenever you start down this path, I think you just have to be supremely confident that you can do it. I mean, obviously, you have to plan for it. You have to be confident in your plans. You can't just be like, oh, I'm quitting my job next Friday and we'll see what happens. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. But once you put in that work and once you've you know, determined that this is what you want to do and you figured out that, yes, I can do it, this is how I'm going to make it work, go do it. Don't let anyone stop you. Don't let anyone make you second guess yourself. You can always go back to what you were doing before later. Go go do what you want now, and I promise your mom won't stop loving you. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for coming on today, Ryan, and thank you for just sharing all these actionable tips and your story with the listeners. Yeah, no problem, Cody, and, and I appreciate you guys very much for inviting me here. I think you're doing some really great work, and you know I, I'm sure you're helping a lot of people with these sorts of, of podcasts and conversations. I'm just really grateful to be a part of it. Thank you for having me. Man, Justin, talking to Ryan is just a breath of fresh air. Just seeing other people who kind of internalize and understand this whole mindset and the whole concept of the freedom that money can buy you. What did you think about the episode? Well, I thought the most interesting thing is he definitely isn't struggling with the thing that you see so many people struggle with, which is that one more year syndrome. Like he recognized that the path that he was on was profitable, but it was kind of eating away from him on the inside and that he just needed to step away and that he had gotten to a point where he had enough money to do exactly that. He could step away and he could give himself time to to really develop that business plan and that model of the business he wanted to start and something that would be fulfilling to him. Yeah, I mean, I totally resonate with his story a lot because I'm in the same exact position. I mean, I could have kept working and working, saved up hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, but... I wasn't feeling fulfilled. 
I didn't like my job. I wasn't feeling like I was in the right place. And so I stepped away. Of course, I'm not financially independent. I only have a five-figure cushion to fall back on, but just knowing that that money is there for me is such a powerful feeling. And I think Ryan's in a, a little more advantageous of a spot, but he knows he's not at full financial independence, but he's at a point where he can guide his life in a direction that he wants. Yeah, and it's something that we've had guests say time and time again, but I think it's always worth pointing out is, you know, when you stop and look at worst case scenario, his worst case scenario is everyone else's typical scenario, right? So like if things hit the fan and he has to go back to work, so what? Everybody else is working. Like it's not the end of the world. And one thing that really stood out to me was what Ryan was saying about people are going to try to stop you. People are going to try to tell you that this isn't possible. People don't live this way. You can't retire when you're 30. You can't retire when you're 35. It's just not a thing. And it is totally not true. And Ryan just pushed through all those people, all those obstacles, and he went out and did it. And the best way to prove someone and tell them that they're wrong is to just go do it, regardless of what they say. So I just thought that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think you're totally... What was that, Justin? You know, Cody, just another one of these call to actions. And this week's call to action is a little bit more of a reflective one than an actionable one. But it's just to kind of sit there and think about what does the retirement that you want to have look like? Like, what does a happy day look like to you? And what does that cost? And if you're at a point where you've got enough runway to sit back for a a year or two and step away from a super stressful job and start thinking about what is it that you really want to do with your life? It, It might be that you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to take control and kind of be your own boss. Or it just might be like, you know what? You realize that you want to go into a different field, a different study. And maybe you need a little time to, you know, resharpen those skills, but that you don't have to sit there and stick with a job that's just kind of eating you away. Like realize it's okay to step away, even if it means you're not ready to fully retire. So just go look at your situation right now. Look at what would make you happy and see what those steps are to get you there. I love that, Justin. Just design the life that you want to live. And so if you want to refer back to anything that we talked about today, you can visit the show notes at thefyshow.com slash Ryan. And as always, if you want to continue the discussion online, please join our Facebook community at thefyshow.com slash community. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you've been enjoying these episodes, please leave that five-star rating and review. It really helps us out and keep getting on these incredible guests. So thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.